And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The race is on, and Mercedes has become the latest to join the 2023 launch party by revealing the W14, which is very much an evolution of last year's troubled machine. So why is Mercedes stuck with its zero side pod approach, and should we expect it to be back in championship challenging form with this new car? I'm Ed Shaw, and joining us to offer their verdict and explain the team's thinking are Scott Mitchell-Malm and Gary Anderson. Well, Scott, welcome back. Thanks for the quick roving reports you supplied while on your travels for the last couple of episodes. You are slightly more stationary than charging around Bologna Airport or wherever it was last time. So it's been a frenetic flurry of launches for you. Yeah, it's um, it's it's been a bit of fun launch week. Um, I think it's one of those where when you see the itinerary like in advance and you're trying to work out everything you need to do, it's daunting and you think, why have I signed up for this? I shouldn't have volunteered to go to Ferrari. This was a terrible idea. But then you obviously you tick them all off in one by one and it, and it is obviously very privileged and, and fun process but I will admit I enjoyed the slightly more relaxed remote launch that Mercedes put on today and it was interesting because uh, I think it reinforced something I said uh, yesterday uh, when we were discussing the Ferrari launch sort of in private um, there, there isn't like one good way to launch an F1 car that there are there are a few different ones and this was a good way of launching one remotely but I have to say I still think we're going to rank all the launches, I think, at the end of the week on the race. And I think I know what's going to be my number one because it was a very, very, very enjoyable day out at Fiorano. No spoilers. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say the Red Bull one, but uh, yeah, that's... No, no that's, a, that's a firm DNQ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the Andrea Moda of launches uh, this year. Still, yeah, there's bad ways to hold launches as well as that proves. You said there's uh, different good ways to do it, but yeah, it's it's been an interesting launch season. But Gary, just talking about the launch itself rather than getting onto any of the detail, but it was simple and effective, wasn't it? So did you enjoy that approach this morning? 
Yes, I did. I thought it was simple. In fact, I mean, the you know the car was there, or a car was there. Hopefully, it is the car that they ran at Silverstone the shakedown, and hopefully, it's a genuine piece of kit. I don't see why it wouldn't have been. Um, it all, yeah. And as I say, they talked about it, and they talked about the reasons and the ups and downs of it. Also, didn't seem as though they were really hiding too much. Just little, little bits of detail, I'm sure, which would be will be changing as uh, this next what week, two weeks, the first race go um, pass by because that's what teams do. Uh, every day you're, you're researching, you'll find something new. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a few little changes, but I you know, I thought the, the release itself was was quite comprehensive. And I would say there where Scott says uh, DNQ from the Red Bull, I'd say a DNS. <laughs> Definitely didn't even start. <laughs> There's an even rarer one, which is DNP. Or D, you can, I did not participate or even it did not appear. If they didn't make yeah. it, so uh, <laughs> you can you can gradually work your way down to more extreme uh, extreme problems. But yeah, there we go. And uh, I suppose Gary, you had the odd DNS with your cars in your career, not that often, but sometimes. Well, we had. The- I won't I won't mention Australia. No, well, we had that, yeah, but we had a few where you know the car was propped up on bits of wood and whatever. But we you know we didn't really hide it too much. Um, but you know we always did try to do running a running. Uh, 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 press releases as possible so the car was actually making noises or or moving um but yeah we you know we, we've had a few uh, moments where it all went wrong <laughs> yeah, and as you said it, it mercedes say it was the genuine car that was then packed up into a little race box trailer and taken to silverstone to be run and yeah i think that was the genuine article which is very positive we've had quite a few genuine article cars in the recent launches so let's actually start to have a look at it and obviously gary the big talking point is the side pod. So was there any surprise to see Mercedes has decided to have an evolution of the infamous size zero side pods rather than going, say, the Red Bull route that seems to be de rigueur? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, at the end of the day, they would have to have sort of, they'd have to have eaten a bit of humble pie to arrive with a Red Bull or a Ferrari side pod. And, you know, as as we've all said and they've said themselves, um, it's really not the side pod concept that that really makes the car work well or ex- excellent it's it's the underfloor it's all the stuff that goes on with it that makes it work and i think they've they've compromised enough on the way to say that it's not now classified as a sort of zero side but it's a it's a sort of mediumish side pod i think you know they're definitely the the flow lines and, and whatever behind the the, the bulbs for the radiator such in the side pod is is now quite a lot more um progressive uh, there's more space around the engine bay more space around the top of the engine bay so i think they have taken their own that concept and they've um you know optimized it a bit so it's not just so so zero as it was in the past but that doesn't mean you know that it will change the performance of the car so we'll just have to wait and see till they start running and we see a stopwatch on it yeah and it wasn't a complete surprise because they've hinted that it's going to be retained in some form for for a while so i think we've said before on the podcast we weren't expecting to see a a dramatic change but scott what did they have to say about this because obviously there were questions about it because it's such a visible distinctive characteristic that it's always going to be a big talking point yeah um there there was a reiteration of um exactly what gary was saying there that this was something that they'd said last year it wasn't you know a core fundamental problem but i found it quite interesting that toto wolf has def- has at the very least left the door open to an early change to a more conventional or maybe more conventional, more commonly adopted side pod design for, for this rule set uh, with one of the early developments that they introduced in the season. So he said that basically that there is a chance that the side pods will change with one of their 
early upgrades they 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 have planned but in the same breath is still stressing that it's not like a priority part and it isn't part of the work that they've done over the winter that they think has got them on on top of the issues they had last year and I think the Mike Elliott the technical director said something where you know after winning what was it eight constructors championships in a row um having a car that didn't work in 2022 maybe a lot of people thought that Mercedes would need to sort of tear tear things up and start from scratch for for 2023 but that isn't the case that he said I think that there is absolutely no indication or no evidence that their design philosophy won't work the way that they think it can so they continue to go barreling down that path but um it's not um I've asked a couple of people at Mercedes today you know are they brave or rational or a bit of both for doing this and at the moment inclined to give them the benefit of the doubt and say it's a bit of both but if the car doesn't work or continues long term to have problems you do wonder whether or not this design whatever they're going for just has a, a, a limited level of, of potential. Well that's the ultimate question isn't it Gary because certainly they were saying throughout last year the side pods aren't the reason for their problems and that might well be the case it probably is the case but they are still standing alone with this design. That doesn't necessarily mean you're wrong, but I'm sure pretty much all the other teams will have had to look at this geometry, do a bit of CFD work, maybe even do some wind tunnel work with it at some stage. They've all gone different ways. So I do wonder if there is possibly a lower ceiling of potential in this. Is there a risk they could run into that? Because obviously, whenever you have a particular design, you always project, yeah, there's all this... Uh, James Allison at Mercedes would call it goodness to be found in the future in terms of performance, but sometimes it just runs out, doesn't it? And that there's a ceiling and someone else's concept has a higher ceiling. Of course, it could go the other way and this could be a masterstroke and Mercedes has uh, a high, higher level of headroom beyond that to uh, to go beyond others. So would you be a tiny bit worried about that if you were Mercedes? Uh, yes, I would be. I mean, uh, one thing I would say is I'd be I'd be very, very disappointed in them if, if suddenly for the first race of the season they, they appeared with a a more, let's say, Red Bull side pod concept, just because you know they've they discovered late in the day that they weren't getting the returns from this one, had one quick hash at a Red Bull side pod and suddenly went, oh, and now we understand a little bit more, so let's optimize this. Even you know, even by by sort of the fourth race of the season or fifth race of the season, if that's what if that's what they arrive with, I'll still be disappointed because at the end of the day, you know, they knew they had problems. Probably, well, they, they knew for sure they had problems by by the beginning of July last year, and problems that they couldn't really fix that they needed to get into. So that's a long time to evolve a um, a concept. As I, as I said many times, normally what you do is you go into into the wind tunnel with a a concept that you've you believe is the the direction that would give you the most return as you said it's just carrying on dotting the i's and crossing the t's on it and optimizing it and you believe you'll just keep on day after day or week after week find you know percentage performance here and there that's your objective but if you run against that brick wall at any point in time and suddenly it's not responding anymore then you have to change direction and that can happen at any point in time during the sort of six seven eight months of of a new car optimization i suppose you may say you know you're always trying to make sure you're moving forward that little bit every time you're on the tunnel and every every idea you put into it but once you hit the brick wall then you have to make big decisions very quickly i would say that they've gone with their their direction with this year's car i'd say they've gone with the sort of overall concept of last year's 
narrow side pod solution and filled it in a little bit here and there. And they haven't lost anything and probably gained a little bit, but not the returns that they'd be looking for. So maybe late in the day, they have looked at a different solution. And now that's what Toto's was talking about for fairly early in the season. Yeah, I'll have to keep a close eye on that. I mean, he suggested it might be a little bit later in the season before we see changes there, but who knows? You never know what's going on furiously in the design offices and the wind tunnel at Brackley. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, let's move on to other aspects of the car now. Gary, we've talked about the side pods. Was there anything else that caught your eye about this car? Well, as I say, my, my normal thing with the car is, that you, you know, you start at the front. You, you start with a, a you know, front wing assembly as such because that affects the airflow to the rest of the car. You try to get something there that's, um, that works consistently through a little bit of an adjustment range so that you can adjust the wing to suit different tracks without getting too, without affecting the, the flow structure too dramatically. And then you sort of move backwards and you optimize the bits and pieces on the way there. You optimize the front suspension linkage to try and help pick up that wake so that, let's say, whenever you go from a low angle front wing for a high speed circuit uh, to a, a, a high angle front wing like for Monaco or Hungary or whatever, Singapore, that really the effect on the, the, the wash coming off that front wing is minimal to the side pod and the underfloor leading edge. Um, so each time you go in the wind tunnel, you try that little range of front front wing adjustment, maybe you know plus or minus three five degrees or something like that, just to see that it doesn't affect too dramatically. And then you get right through to the back of the car, and then you start at the front again. You try and make the wing front wing work a bit harder, and then you sort of progress back through the car again. And you do that probably five six you know eight times during a, a car optimization um, program. So the front wing going from there, the the you know last year I I criticised the front wing a little. A fair amount because of the, the the high loading right in the middle of the front wing, and, and you know any if you do that with a with a wing that got across its span, and uh, you have a, a massive change in shape on the trailing edge, you end up with transverse flow underneath the wing, um, and it's it's all going to that high point, so it pulls it in for, away from the nose and it pulls it in away from the end plate, but on top of the wing it's the other way because you get high pressure on top of the um, the the wing, so it's separating it and going outwards. Um, and I, you know, I, I question that because at the end of the day, again, if you look at the Ferrari or the or the Red Bull or most other teams, it was a fairly uniform loading from the nose outwards, dropping off in front of the front tire, um, because obviously the bit of the wing in front of the front tire doesn't actually do very much for you anyway. And this year, as I say, I've seen that the front wing now the flap arrangement is more uniform going outwards. Um, that doesn't mean they won't change back to what they had last year whenever they look for a high downforce, but it, to me, that would be the wrong step. Front suspension units, they've got the, the toe length drop down into the level of the front wishbone now. 
which allows them to get more control over that wake of the front wing because the the two bits add together to form a quite a long aspect ratio wing assembly, um, which picks up the, the the weight coming off that front wing and ties it up for the underfloor. Um, so that gets you through the front suspension. Still, still push rod operated front suspension, good, bad, or indifferent. As I say, that whether it's pull rod or push rod, um, I, I don't think it's night and day as far as the aerodynamic package is concerned. I think it's about packaging and, um, and not, you know making sure you can get everything fitted into where you have to get it fitted into the. Uh, the pull rod is a bit more complicated to get to and to maintain and to change the setup of, whereas the push rod, you know, it's up in front of you, so you can do things quite easily. So there is, you know, maybe those compromises step into play, but the, the centre of gravity of the pull rod suspension will be lower than the centre of gravity of a push rod suspension. And then, as I say, you get to the leading edge of the side pod, which uh, obviously is a bit different, but not not stupidly different. Gary, one one thing that stood out to me just vi- visually when the car was revealed, and then obviously we started to see different angles of it, and it, so it became it became clear it was a real thing rather than a, a trick of the light. Is and this might just be an aesthetic thing at this point, but where they've obviously now got it so that the 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 engine cover basically runs all the way back from the the halo, and it creates wh- when you see the car dead on from the front it's almost like the car's like on its ho- like up like this it's, it's, shoulder, it's got really stocky shoulders does that kind of design mean anything to you when you look at it is that just a an aerodynamic like an aesthetic feature function of something they're trying to do underneath does that serve a specific purpose in guiding the the the, air, the airflow that we're always talking about trying to get that to, to to the rear of the car when you see that do you see that as a key feature of the car or just a consequence of something else that's more important well, I, I see it as a solution to potentially a problem they had last year, which was cooling. I mean, what you do with these cars, you have, you have an inlet. That airflow passes through whatever radiator package you have in the car, here and there around the car. You have to you have to duct airflow to the front face of that radiator, which creates a positive pressure on the radiator. And then behind that radiator, you have to have a negative pressure to pull the air through it. And that uh, negative pressure you know, gives you the the the, the rate of the, the the flow velocity through that radiator, which gives you your cooling, or your amount of cooling on the car. And the thing about the um, the the exit cooling ducts, as such, they're they're quite limited in the regulations. That's why we see a lot a lot of louvers now. Um, you know, a louver is is a lot less efficient than a sort of reasonable sized exit hole. I suppose you might call it. It looks more efficient because you've got lots of them all in the row, but the, you know, the first one affects the second one, the second one affects the third one, the third one affects the fourth one because the the, the, volume, the speed across it is changing all the time as you pull a low-speed air out of the radiator. So I, I think that they're, those two big tunnels that they've got along the top of the car there is about making sure the cooling is adequate because last year I do believe they had to turn down the performance of their engine um, to just basically not the, not the uh, temperatures down a bit because that's the only way you can do it, just, just reduce the, the engine performance. So I think it's, it's a, a real thing. And uh, the, the, again, the same deal. You know, we can see everybody's going for this sort of uh, letterbox or what we like to call it, exit at the back near, near where the exhaust pipes are. And that, and that is the most efficient place to put it because the exhaust gas speed coming out of the tailpipe will help pull airflow through underneath the bodywork. Um, and if you've got radiators mounted up there and stuff like Mercedes probably have, then you know you're, you've got a good exit area, good exit position. Normally, what you do is go around over the, the body surfaces um, with pressure tappings on them and just try and find the lowest pressure point on this body surface 
and then you put an exit duct there. Um, and obviously the lowest pressure point in one of these cars that you're allowed to do now is, is at the back. The exit has to be, I think it's behind the center line of the rear wheel or behind the front of the rear the rear tire or something like that. So you 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 end up trying to find that solution. And I think this solution fits in quite nicely. And you know, whereas last year's car didn't seem to sort of completely connect up from where the driver's shoulders were to the to the um engine bay, it got very small very quickly. This year's car doesn't, you know, it carries those lines straight through a bit more and and using that as an exit duct for the radiator, you know, kills two birds with one stone and such. And Scott, in terms of what the team was saying about the car beyond the side pods, did they give you much of an impression about what they're trying to achieve and how confident they are in it? Um, no, I wouldn't say so. I don't think they were. Uh, I don't think they wanted to share share too much um, in 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 that regard. I mean, obviously, there were there were the key limitations that they had last year. So, I guess in the broadest possible terms, it's about unlocking the performance that they thought they could have in theory with last year's car but without triggering things like the the porpoising all over again or 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 anything else but i think the key thing is that they they do believe that the dna as as they keep referring to of of the car is capable of 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 achieving what what they need it to um when we speak to the drivers they're talking about having a car that just has a much more predictable balance uh, a car that doesn't just sort of suddenly snap on you or cause any problems mid corner but obviously it needs to have it needs it, it needs to have just in the most basic terms just much better ride characteristics and adjustment potential which it just didn't have last year um, and all of that will come down to I suspect the changes that Mercedes say that they've made front but especially rear suspension and they talk they've talked a lot about obviously all of the work that's gone on under the surface that we can't see now because of the nature of the rules i'm sure that that relates in a very big way to 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 the floor because that's just what we're dealing with with ground effect but because of the specific problems that mercedes had last year i think what they've done with the suspension geometries is going to be key as well so i'm going to I might be completely wrong here, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that we're all kind of looking forward to seeing a lot more angles of the rear of the Mercedes and seeing exactly how that rear suspension layout works. Yeah, whenever I you know have a look at the suspension as such, as I say, the, the front track rod now down in front of the uh, the lower wishbone forward leg is obviously an aerodynamic improvement. Also, it's difficult to see, but the, the top wishbone looks like the rear leg is is lower than the front leg where it picks up on the uh, the upright assembly and obviously on the chassis on the chassis that can give you um some anti-lift uh, whenever you come off the brakes um but the outboard end is something that you could use to change the camber with steering lock i'm not saying it is because you just can't see it clear enough but i wouldn't be surprised if they'd be pursuing that a little bit because obviously you know, you want as much camera as you can get on the front of the car, as much as you're allowed on the front of the car for the high-speed corners. But really, and truthfully, then you can't generate the uh, the corner enforcement, the low-speed corners. So you have a, you know, because of the camber, you have a, a smaller contact path than what you'd like. So by being able to reduce the camber with steering lock gives you more front grip. Um, so we'll wait and see what they've done there, to be honest. The rear suspension... Again, you know, it's a pull rod like last year. The top wishbone looks very similar to last year's its location and its um and its geometry. So so I'm not quite sure what the bottom one does that would be fantastic. They've 
they spent time in the past, as we know, on what they classified as, you know, revolutionary rear suspension member layout. Uh, so they obviously got a lot of effort into that in the past, and they wouldn't be surprised if they started again with these new regulations. So there may be something down there with the track rod and the and the drive shaft shrouding and the bottom wishbone that optimizes the flow through that that gap. But um, again, we need to get better pictures before we can see it. Yeah, we've seen a few pictures from the shakedown as well. So we're starting to get a picture. But yeah, we'll be in Bahrain for the pre-season test where I think we will get a bit of a better feel for the car. We'll get back to the pod in a moment. But first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Well, Scott, as mentioned, the car did run. They did a filming day at Silverstone where you can do up to 100 kilometres. What do we know about how they got on there? What sort of mood did the drivers have? You certainly spoke to at least one driver after they'd driven, I think. Uh, yeah, that was um, that was George. But um, I'll be honest, I'm not entirely convinced he'd done a lot of laps um, by the sounds of it. I mean, they, they're already there are rumours that the, the shakedown was maybe beset a little bit by engine problems and running was limited. I don't know. There's nothing official that's um, come out from from the team. And as we sit here and record this, just being completely honest, we've been dealing with a bunch of other stuff. So that specifically hasn't been something that we've looked into um, as such. R- Russell did claim when we spoke to him that there hadn't been any major setbacks or anything like that and they'd got through what they needed to get through from, from today. Um, I'll be honest, when you said that they've done... The, the, the filming day I wasn't sure if they they were actually turning today into something like Ferrari did on the uh, on the Tuesday whereby they um, they they don't they use one of the the demonstration um, events rather than the promotional events which is 15 kilometers instead of 100 kilometers but I got the impression Mercedes were out to do the full 100 kilometers if they could and and have it as a full filming day um, the main thing is for both drivers there's a big emphasis on um, hoping that the car that they start the season with is just the right sort of platform to build on. I've got the impression from everyone that we've heard to uh, heard from directly, but also some of the stuff in you know their launch material that Mercedes have been very careful and potentially expecting to start the season on the back foot a little bit and then be playing catch up in the early races, maybe until they get their first upgrade package because there's been a lot of emphasis on you know that they they did end the season not even you know outright second fastest they're coming from behind with this um and they're not the favorites and you know Toto Wolf said things like hope you know that eventually they hope that that car will be a title contender or regular front runner so it's it, it all seems geared towards 
them seeing the 2023 season as something that they will need to develop through to get to the front rather than be at the front and then develop to stay there. It, there, there is a small but significant difference in that. So I'm not blown away by the optimism and confidence from from everything that we've heard today. It does tally a little bit with some rumours that have been going around in the last couple of weeks and especially some stuff that I heard when I was at Fiorano for the for the Ferrari launch as well. So I think uh, I think they're optimistic. I think they, they do genuinely believe in the potential that they might be unlocking with this package and, and with this evolution of it. But I don't think anyone at Mercedes is sitting there and genuinely believing that they've cracked it and that they will be challenging Red Bull right from the get-go. I know that there will be some people listening to this and saying that this is the, the usual Mercedes story, but obviously last year... They were being completely truthful when they said that they were in trouble in, in, in testing and going to Bahrain. So I think uh, give it, if, you, if you give them the benefit of the doubt and assume that they're not being particularly misleading with this, I don't think they're expecting to go there and, and be on the level of, uh, of Red Bull, shall we say. I think, Scott, just to add to that, if you don't mind, I think whenever they went to, to Bahrain last year with the car, they were in shock as opposed to really understood they weren't going to perform. And they also didn't feel they were... For some reason, they were able to run the car in its best working window. And they pursued that for quite a few races, to be honest. Um, not maybe half the season, but knocking on the door of half the season before they realised that actually you just really couldn't get the car into its best working window. And you had to compromise that working window. And after after they sort of accepted that, then I think they, they, they improved in performance a little bit after they accepted they weren't going to get the downforce out of the underflow that they potentially thought they could. But I, I do also think that, you know, that's a long time ago for a team like Mercedes, who has, you know, won the last, what, as I say, seven, eight um, constructors' championships and whatever. So a pretty successful team. If they have had those problems last year and they go into this season now, these first races of this season, and they are the the third best team with by a margin to the Ferrari and the Red Bull in front of them, then the motivation within the company is, is is going to be dismal. But even the drivers, you know, they can't do that now. They've had enough time to make sure that the product they get to Bahrain with is potentially going to fight for that podium and top three position. So I, I would think that, you know, if they're standing back now saying, oh, we're not in great shape, then I think they genuinely believe they are in great shape and um, they should be doing a good job. They're just trying to pull the wool over a few people's eyes, including mine. <laughs> I, I I sort of see it as um, I wonder if there's a little bit of a middle ground where they've and it might it might tally with whether it's side pod changes or things that you were talking about earlier where oh have they discovered something late where they think actually this is a better direction to go down here and I wonder if a lot of their op- optimism is rooted on sort of a place that they can get the car to early in the season but not necessarily right at, at the start because one of the thing one of the things that's been doing the rounds the last two or three weeks is that they could start the season a couple of attempts off three attempts off so broadly where they ended up last year and then whatever it is race 4 or whenever that first upgrade package comes they think right that's going to get us there and then that I think you get the best of both worlds from a Mercedes point of view because you get that you can play everything down and then say in Bahrain, oh, you see, we weren't lying because we're, we're a little bit off. But you've got that optimism, that confidence because you know, but when we get this on the car, it's suddenly going to be 
going to be great. I mean, it's all smoke and mirrors. It's it's all a lot of nonsense and hearsay and conjecture um, at, at this point. So it is really, really hard to read read between the lines. And even in testing, you're only going to get clues, aren't aren't we? Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily the best way to use your budget, especially with the cost cap, because, you know, they've got a car here that's got, uh, you know, obviously had all the molding, tooling, wind tunnel time, radiator packages, whatever to fit inside there. If you're going to change all that because you've got a different side pod concept, that's that's going to knock a big hole in your your spending, um, you know, by race four or race six or whatever. So, again, I'm, I'm a bit confused by why you'd want to go that route. Even if you know that the, the one that's coming along will perform better, it's still down to, you know, you've spent the money. You can only spend it once. You know, the, the pockets are only so deep these days with the cost cap. So you've got to make sure that you spend it wisely. And before we finish on Mercedes, Scott, a simple question. Why have they gone back to black with the livery? Um, yeah, quite a, quite a sensible reason. We know that they were struggling like every team to, or nearly every team to get down to the to the weight limit last year and they didn't get down to the weight limit last year. I think they were a few kilos over. Um, they had some opportunities through the season to try and take weight off um, if they wanted to prioritise it. But as I think we've gone over a few times, they had slightly bigger problems that they were trying to spend their time and money and aerodynamic resources on fixing. Then they had some low-hanging fruit, I think, at the end of the year with some of their updates to bring some slightly lighter components and take some weight off there. But they still had quite a significant effort over the winter to take more kilos off the car and I think they saw a free way to do that would be to go back to the black livery um, so the car's not completely bare unpainted carbon it, there is apparently some matte black paint on there um, I'd be interested to, to know an exact break, breakdown because it looks pretty bare to me um, but I think when you take, obviously, when we we had an all-black Mercedes the first time, it, it was uh, it was to send a, a message of, of anti-racism, anti-discrimination um, for, for two seasons. It was a strong message. It served its purpose. Mercedes then moved away from that back to silver because they felt that they wanted to incorporate um, actual action and programs, you know, do things rather than just have a symbol for all, all of that very important stuff, which was great. But now they've got an opportunity to go back to a colour scheme that the fans really love, I think was quite popular internally, is associated with that message, but just serves a technical purpose, just a simple car sporting technical purpose, which is to take as much weight off the car as possible. And I don't, I'd be interested to know, the reason I want to know what the exact um, blend is between bare and painted black is how, actually how much is it? Because you hear some teams talking of, if you've got a fully painted car, it's a few kilos. But then you have some that just say, oh, it's a few hundred grams that you can save here and there. So it'd be interested to know how much it's actually contributed. But apparently the net result is all of their efforts, including the paintwork, is that they are on the weight limit for this year, which they definitely weren't last year. So that, so that is a, a relatively significant thing for Mercedes to have hit. Yeah, and certainly weight for paint has come down quite a bit in recent years, particularly for the biggest and wealthiest teams. So it's not as heavy as it once was, but yeah, there's certainly gains to be had there. And it's very clever, I think, of teams to integrate it in their livery properly, although Mercedes has gone to an extreme on this. Before we go, we should just briefly mention the Aston Martin also ran at Silverstone. They shared that day uh, for, for filming. Uh, Stroll and Alonso split the running. Looks like Aston Martin. They certainly claim they had a, a, a solid, sensible day, obviously. Nobody's ever going to send out a press release saying, oh, our shakedown was a disaster. I remember the uh, 
The Mercedes, the first year of the hybrid uh, engines in 2014, had a shakedown at Silverstone, and I think the, the, the engine was billowing smoke before Nico Rosberg even got out of the pit lane on that particular day. But uh, yeah, it sounds like it went okay for Aston Martin. And we did hear the car circulating, didn't we, in the background before Toto Wolff's little media session, online media session. So we do at least know it did run, but nice solid start for Aston Martin. Well, thanks very much, Gary Anderson and Scott Mitchell-Mount for your insight. Head to therace.com. Loads to read there. Don't forget the hyphen if you're heading there. Of course, Gary's done an in-depth technical analysis of the Mercedes that's just gone up, which is well worth a read as well check out our other podcasts including bring back v10s which tells classic f1 stories and also check out our videos on youtube launch season still has a little bit more to run so stay with us for everything you need to know from alpine the athletic Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.